Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hello and welcome to Robert Jobson's Royal Podcast. I'm Rob Jobson, Royal Editor of the Evening Standard, and in this episode we're talking about the royal wedding of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. As I recall this, the UK is preparing to go into wedding overdrive, and by the time you listen, Harry will have wed Meghan in front of an estimated global audience of 2 billion people. It's the last royal wedding of this scale we're likely to see for a generation, and the media and the public interest has been absolutely enormous. I'll be speaking in this episode to a good friend of mine, Mark Beretta. He's one of the hosts of the top-rated uh, Sunrise show on Channel 7 in Australia. Also, I'll be making a reading from the uh, book that I've written, The Wedding of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. This section will be really focused on the wedding itself. Today, I've been chatting to a couple of the guys from Sunrise, Channel 7, Australia's um, top-rated breakfast show, Michael Pell, who's the executive producer, the boss, if you like, of the show, who's decided to spend quite a few thousand dollars and come over with the entire team to broadcast Sunrise um, from London ahead of the Royal Wedding. I mean, he's brought all the four main hosts, David Kosh, Samantha Armitage, Mark Beretta, who I'll be speaking to later, and Natalie Barr. He even spent $10,000, Australian dollars, bringing over the, the desk that they sit at in the mornings. It's been a, a major undertaking, and Michael chatted to me um, about it after the end of the show that took place a couple of days before the wedding when they were at the London Eye. Here's what he had to say. I'm here at the end of the show with uh, Michael Pell, who's been the executive producer of sunrise the top rated australian morning show breakfast show at the end of the show today it's been another success um how do you think that one went uh, michael you were here at uh, on the south of the uh, of the thames by the london eye yeah i thought it was good it's a great atmosphere here this week and there is a bit of a buzz which i think helps uh i always think that breakfast tv is mostly about people yeah. so to have a huge crowd every night and a crowd that seems pretty interested in um in what's going on and i have to say that the, it's the gift that keeps on giving this Meghan Markle debacle. Unbelievable story, isn't it? A story that, just as you say, keeps giving. You had a cracking interview this evening with uh, Meghan Markle's half-sister. She had spoken before, but today she seemed, because of the way David Kosh and Samantha drew a lot out of her, I thought. I thought the stuff that she, you know, she, she was giving a given, then she talked about, you know, he, they should be rolling out the red carpet for my father. Mm. She accused her brother of substance abuse and mm. alcohol abuse. 
Um, and it was, you know, it was quite an interesting, um, mm. I think, news agenda setting interview for tomorrow's papers, I would have thought. Yeah, funny thing about that interview was uh, we locked it in yesterday and uh, we allocated a fair bit of time for it. Normally, a breakfast TV commercial segment, commercial television breakfast TV segment would go for about anywhere between one and a half, two minutes, maybe four if you've got a really long one. I think that one went for 14 minutes and I actually moved something down because it was just too good. She was very candid. Uh, She seemed, as you say, a little bit angry. Um, Angry at the press, angry at uh, the treatment of uh, of her family and and a bit distant, I think, from her from her half sister. So it was a it was a fascinating, you could say, car crash TV moment. But it, but you didn't look away from that. No, but I thought it was the fact that, that you drew it out of her. The fact that she had more time to speak. Until now, we've had people like Piers Morgan who said you were a vulture mm. and accusing her of things. And actually, it was the first time I'd seen her actually trying to explain herself and talk yeah. about her family in that way. Now, the whole of the crew, it seems to me, are over here. I mean, you have to make these massive decisions, and then, yes. obviously, it's not cheap. No. But, uh, <laughs> and, it, and it's also very, uh, you know, a lot of organisation involved to do this. Yeah, it's a, it's a massive undertaking. Um, often, um, uh, doing an outside broadcast, you might do one day, and you might do it uh, somewhere else in Sydney or interstate for us but to do five days six days seven days when you include the weekend and to do it at the other side of the world um, it is not only expensive it is a bit of a logistical nightmare I mean there are a million and one things that can go wrong and then you normally find a million and two of them go wrong and then you have to fix them too like broadcasting from the moon you know it just seems like that to <laughs> well, me it's a bit like that but um, and also we're always trying to up the ante and do something different that we haven't done before. So you can't just stay in one spot. You have to go to five different locations in the first five days before you go to Windsor, you know. So we don't make it easy on ourselves. Tomorrow we're at Buckingham Palace. We've already done Tower Bridge. We did a pub yesterday, which was rowdy but fun. Yeah. Uh, London Eye today. So and, and, and then, of course, we'll be at Windsor. Um, huge logistical challenge. But I think, um, I think for people at home, it breaks up the cycle of, uh, of the day-to-day um, of you know of what is a breakfast TV show gives them a bit of colour, um, gives you a real insight into what is one of the biggest stories of this year as well. And this will be the last probably big royal wedding for many many years. I, I mean you know I, I, there's not going to there'll be a you know the the, the York's wedding in the autumn, but it's not going to be nothing like this. Mm. I mean this really does bring it home, doesn't it? I mean how, how do you think? Austra- I mean I think when I was in Australia quite recently, actually the the mood towards the monarchy seems to be fairly positive there's fairly good reaction i mean how do you you feel in terms of your tv perspective that the the, the royal family gives what does it give i think there's a lot of interest and i think the the good thing for us is being breakfast tv in australia all the all the pictures come in overnight so we're the first ones to run new pictures of megan and harry new pictures of of um catherine and william um i think there is a, a lot of interest and i think people do like them you know people like them in australia i think people like them in america uh, the monarchy. I, I don't know whether whether the UK itself. I just don't like them here. No, it's actually funny, and I think the Americans could bottle them if they could. You know, they, they, they'd purchase them if it was able if it was able to happen. So I think um, I think particularly for our core demographic, which is predominantly women, um, they, they're they're very interested in the rules and what they're up to. And I think Meghan and Harry are a whole new generation there. I, I worked on the last royal wedding, and we took the show here seven years ago, and um, and that was great too. But this one feels different because of the drama. And because of the um, the Hollywood tinge there, the, the, you know, a, a, an American actress who's been married before, it's such a break with tradition. I think that adds to the to the element of excitement that makes this probably even even bigger than the last one. 
I also chatted with Mark Barretta. Now, Mark's the sports anchor and sometimes um, main presenter of Sunrise um, in Australia. He focuses mainly on the sport. He was a sportsman himself, a, a great water skier of, um, of acclaim in Australia. In fact, Mark, for his work with the Commonwealth Games, was invited by Buckingham Palace to attend a garden party, and I went along as his plus one for a segment on the show. Um, where I did some filming, so I became a camo, as they call it in Australia, for a short while. Now, I had a chat with Mark um, about the monarchy and what the uh, Australians feel about the monarchy and um, the role they have to play in Australia. Of course, the Queen is still the Queen of Australia. And uh, we had a chat after he was presenting uh, the show the other day. So, really interesting guy, a really nice guy, and um, this is what he had to say. Brett, we went to the garden parties today. What did you make of it all? It was quite a spectacle, wasn't it? I was absolutely overawed. It's when you've never been in the palace before. It is incredible. You know, to go a through the gates, uh, to walk through the palace itself, and then out into the expanse of the backyard and the gardens was incredible. And then for me, the other highlight was seeing Her Majesty come out at four o'clock on the dot. The beef eaters opened the procession. Uh, the Queen, Andrew, Edward, Sophie all came up there and then we had God Save the Queen and it was just Buckingham Palace to perfection. It was a magnificent experience. And you had the extra bonus really that was sorted out by the, the Palace after your experience with the Commonwealth Games and the Queen's Baton of meeting the Countess of Wessex. What was that like? Oh, she was absolutely lovely. Uh, just as engaging and wonderful and warm as she appears on TV. We had a chat about cycling. She loves her cycling and has done some charity bike riding. Uh, we talked about the Commonwealth Games that Edward had been to. Uh, we talked about the Baton Relay and uh, and a little bit about the wedding too on the weekend. So she said, you know, obviously they're looking forward to it and uh, everyone's excited about it. And she was surprised by the amount of media coverage from Australia. We've got a lot of Australian media here. So, no, we had a fantastic chat for about five or six minutes. And it was in that environment, it was just really special. And, and Sunrise is here for the, the whole week, which is quite incredible. Big, mm. A big enterprise bringing everybody yeah. over. I mean, how are the royal family looked at upon in Australia, do you think? It's still fairly popular? With growing interest, I'd say. Um, we, uh, I, I can see from the other nations here and our, our presence here that uh, in the Commonwealth, they are just still adored, and I think more and more so. And Harry and Meghan have been a big part of that, as have William and Kate. But this is the next generation. I think people can see the future, see where the royal family is going, and they like it. You know, I know that's the case at home. We, we can't get enough, as, as you know, you know, the number of times yeah. that we have you talking on Australian television. Um, there's almost an insatiable appetite for the royals. I mean, I'm bringing the whole team here. I mean, I know you've been at the Anchor Pub. You were down by the Tower Bridge earlier. I mean, it's an expensive operation and, you know, bringing the whole crew. But, I mean, it's it's just something a bit different, which are people who are back home, back home, back home in Australia yeah. love. Yeah, absolutely. It, um, you know, the, it is going to be a huge event on Saturday. And I guess in many ways we're taking advantage of that, you know, being here in the lead up. Um, we're giving people the information live as it's happening here in London. And Australians have a great affinity with London. As you know, probably half the population lives here at the moment or at any given time. You've just got to look in the pubs. Um, so there's a great connection and, and people have a, a tremendous warmth towards London. Many people at home have spent some time here either in their younger years or they've got kids or relatives here in London. So it's just a really nice place to have a connection to. Um, for us, that equates to people's interest in the wedding. And when we come here a week early and do the lead up and all the colour, um, people at home just, just love it. They can't get enough. And for you, an unforgettable experience today. 
completely unbelievable. I, you know, as I kept saying to you, I was pinching myself. Um, just walking into the palace number one, being so close to the Queen and the royal family was incredible. But seeing behind the scenes at the palace and the way Buckingham Palace runs an event, uh, it's not their first tea party. You know, they, they do it like no one else. It's brilliant. Every detail's taken care of. Well, it was good for us because we did a bit of filming inside, which we were allowed to do, and it's made a segment on the show tonight. So that's something to always treasure. Yeah, with your great camera work, Rob, too. Not bad, not bad. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Really great to talk to you. This is a reading from my book, The Wedding of Prince Harry and Meghan. The genius of a royal wedding lies in the combination of its simplicity, its invocation of history and its sense of splendour. It lies too in its ability to appeal to people on a personal level, as well as being a sensational, almost magical visual spectacle. The build-up to the wedding of Prince Harry, now sixth in line to the British throne, and his American bride, Meghan Markle, has certainly captured the popular imagination. It will be one of the major global news events of the year, the hottest ticket in town. But unlike his brother, Prince William's 2011 wedding to Catherine Middleton, later the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, which took place at Westminster Abbey on the 29th of April 2011, with the 1,900 guests present, this will be a much smaller affair. Harry and Meghan's venue, St George's Chapel, a Church of England parish within Windsor Castle, has a capacity of only 800 people. From flowers to seating plans, the happy couple will be looking to take charge of the ceremony themselves, which has been designed to embrace those close to them and also to welcome the public in to enjoy the life-changing moment. The Windsors, the world's most watched family, have more rules and traditions than most. If you're in a room with the Queen and Her Majesty stands up, it is protocol for everyone to follow suit. When dining as a royal family, after the Queen has taken her last bite, everyone else at the table needs to stop eating too. Men of the royal family perform a neck bow, where women curtsy when greeting the Queen for the first time during the day. And every royal brad, including Meghan, carries myrtle in her wedding bouquet. But perhaps the most important rule, and one that has implications for the survival of the ancient and unelected institution, is that the royal family is not allowed to vote, hold any type of political office, or speak publicly about politics. They must certainly not be seen to be partisan, supporting one political party above another, as to do so could cause a constitutional crisis. Meghan, an outspoken feminist and campaigner in her past, used her celebrity status in 2016 when the US presidential election was taking place to endorse Hillary Clinton and criticise the eventual victor, Donald Trump, as a misogynistic and divisive character. But that was in her past. Such strident opinions will have to be muted as she embraces her life as a member of the royal family. Instead, she'll be expected to channel her campaigning zeal into relatively non-political or apolitical roles, such as supporting the voluntary sector. However, Meghan is a mature woman with a voice, and she is clearly not afraid to use it. It appears that she will not easily be silenced by the niceties of royal protocol. 
In February, during an inaugural Royal Foundation Forum, she spoke about a variety of topics at the Making of a Difference Together event, including her support for women's empowerment movements like Time's Up and Me Too, but at the same time demonstrating the bond she had formed with her future family. It was her first official appearance alongside Harry, Prince William and Kate, and Meghan appeared to be imperfectly complement the experienced royal trio. Togetherness at its finest, she said, of the two couples' relationship with each other. The press duly dubbed the two couples the Fab Four, a nod to the famous Beatles that ruled the pop world in the 60s in Britain. There was a special significance to the four of them appearing on stage together. The Royal Foundation was a charity begun by Princes William and Harry in 2009 and later supported by the Duchess of Cambridge once she married into the family. Under its umbrella sit a variety of charities including the Heads Together Mental Health Campaign, the Invictus Games for ex-service personnel, a cyberbullying task force and assorted initiatives on the environment, education, employment, training and addiction. Megan must have been fully briefed about what is expected of her in the future and as Harry's wife, but what was interesting about Megan's first speaking role on the royal journey was her supreme confidence to speak her mind. She signalled her support for global movements aimed at ending sexual harassment in a stroke, suggesting that the younger generation of the royal family could harness their momentum to highlight the issues of women's empowerment. She added that there was no better time to continue to raise the profile of women's voices. In a public Q&A, all four were invited to lay out their plans for the future. You'll often hear people say, you're helping women to find their voices, she said, of her work as a campaigner. I fundamentally disagree with that because women don't need to find a voice. They have a voice. They need to feel empowered to use it. And people need to be encouraged to listen. Thanks to everyone who took part in this episode. Remember, you can subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to listen again to the next episode when I'll be speaking to Ken Wolfe, former Royalty Protection Officer to Diana, Princess of Wales, about the future King of England. Harry's best man, the Duke of Cambridge, Prince William. Until then, this is Robert Jobson signing off. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.